Amen. Amen. Good morning, beloved. Everybody have a good new year. Not really, huh? That, that muted. My goodness. I had a great one. I was in bed by 930. I, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. Turn in your Bible to uh, the gospel story of um, Matthew. Matthew chapter tw- uh, 2. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, this is a text, if you have been in church at all, you have heard before. Uh, it is a text that you will probably kind of gloss over and, and let your eyes roll back in your head. Yeah, I've heard this. And you'll kind of let the words wash over you and you won't really pay attention. But I really want you to pay attention this morning. I, I want you to listen because today is the formal transition from the season of the 12 days of Christmas to the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany uh, is, is a revelation. It's an aha moment. Um, you see, we are in the seasons of Epiphany now. It's an Epiphany. Uh, an Epiphany is a, a revealing to us that which is hidden in plain sight. That's the best way to describe an Epiphany. It's right there in front of you. You see it all the time, but you don't see it. And then all of a sudden, you finally see it for what it is. And it's, ah, whoa. Well, today is Epiphany Sunday. Um, this morning, we're going to hear about several characters in our story. Um, the first are a group of astrologers who did not know Jesus, but went to pay him homage or worship to him. Uh, there is a Jewish king who knew the scriptures very, very well. Um, but saw this child as a threat to his own leadership. And then we have this group of religious scholars and, and seminary professor types of the day. Um, they, they know all too well what's going on, but they fail to do anything about it. So this, with this in mind, I want us to hear the Lord, hear the word of the Lord, and, and hear the words fresh. Church, pay attention. Matthew chapter 2. Now in the time of King Herod, parenthetically, that would be between 6 before the birth of Christ to 4 AD. Or, yeah, somewhere in there. So that, that's with the first of the, the turn of the millennium. Uh, in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is this child who has been born king of the Jews? For he observed his star at its rising, and we've come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, Quoting from Micah chapter 5. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you, for from you, shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go! 
Search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay him homage as well. And when they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by way of another road. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. This is a story that we all know well, isn't it? How's the song go? We. Yeah, yeah, you really know that one well. <laughs> Who spikes your punch? Man. We think we know this story so well, but unfortunately, culture has painted uh, highlights in the pictures of this story that we often miss the point. We often get wrapped up in, gee, was the star, the constellations of Jupiter and Mars coming together around 5 B.C.? Or, you know, what was it? We all get wrapped up in, in the trivial details and we miss the main point. But I'm just curious, how many of you were paying attention? All right, here's a quiz. How many wise men were there? Three, five, or ten? It doesn't say. It doesn't say there are three wise men in this. Scripture is silent on the number of wise men. We've made assumptions about the number of wise men because of the number of gifts brought. Now, if you think about it, gold, incense, and myrrh are pretty pricey things back in those days and still are today. And if you are crossing the wilderness... Odds are you're going to have a caravan surrounding you as you carry these gifts. So the odds are more than at least maybe a dozen people more than likely. You're not going to travel with all that and not have any protection. But the point is, Scripture doesn't say there are three kings. When we sing, we three kings, we don't know. It's a guess. We're reading into Scripture. Okay. Number two, who? Here we go. Who were, or who were the men who came to see Jesus? Kings from the Orient? Religious officials from the East? Or astrologers? How many, how many believe he's kings from the Orient? Let's hear verbally. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Religious officials from the East? Hmm. Astrologers? Okay, we've got a split house on that one. Well, the famous Christmas carol, We Three Kings, is really misnamed. It should be We Three Magi. It's a better title. You see, uh, the Magi were from the east, presumably, uh, presumably Babylon. They were not religious officials per se, as we would think of them. Rather, they would be considered the follower of the stars. They would be the kind of people you turn on television in the middle of the night, reading horoscopes. Our word magi is the word that we get the word magic from. In other words, 
The Magi were magicians. They were astrologers. Worst case scenario, they were sorcerers. They conjured up spirits. They dabble in magic in places they shouldn't. The term Magi occurs just a few times in the New Testament. Here in the Gospel, and then in Acts. And when the word magi is used two out of the three times in in the New Testament, it's said in a derogatory way. What's the point? The fact that they are mentioned in our story, the magi, says more about God's desire and graciousness to establish relationship with people like them than anything else. The fact that God would go to those outsiders, those Eastern magicians who dabble in reading animal innards, tells us that God is saying, it's a new day. My message is for all people. Let's try another one. True or false? True or false? How many of you have a crush at home? You have a crush? Not a crush, a crash. You have a crash? Nativity scene? Okay. Think about that nativity scene. Get it in your mind. Think about it. Think about that nativity scene. Think about it. Okay. Now, do our contemporary nativity scenes adequately display what happened? True or false? You got 50-50. Come on. How many think false? How many think True. You're wrong. (laughs) Actually, the Magi weren't even there when the shepherds were that first Christmas morn. They were not there when Jesus was still lying in the manger. Our story today indicates that the Holy Family, if you noticed, had moved from the manger. And where did they move into? A house. The Magi come, some believe, a year and a half, a year to year and a half after Jesus was born. Sometime later. Okay. Who was upset by Jesus' birth announcement? Okay. Herod, the religious officials, or all of Jerusalem? Who? How many? Herod? All the above? That's it. All the above. Verse 2 tells us that Herod and the religious officials and seminary leaders of the day were all been out of shape. They were unnerved for some reasons. But we also see that in verse 3, the entire city had been turned into this kerfuffle about who Jesus was. About who this king was, rather. You see, the magi, they, get, they, they go to where they think the, the king is. Where are you going to go if you see the king? You're going to go... To Jerusalem. You're going to go to the palace. You're going to go to the the place where where the king hangs out. They're going to go to the capital city. And the strangers came in looking for a king, nosing around, and they began asking people, and they're saying, you know, listen, we saw this light, and we followed the light, and it it, it brought us, we've come here from the east, we're looking for a child king. We brought them all this really cool stuff, and we want to give it to them, and all of a sudden people are talking, you know, hubbub. All the gossip, the rumor mill started. And the next thing you know, 
it gets to Herod's ears. It went from the curbside to the palace, the parking lot, (laughs) and to the office. And Herod was all concerned. The religious officials could quote scripture, but they didn't know what it meant. Let's ask another question. When? When did the wise men get a word from God? When they saw the star? When they spoke with Herod? Or after they saw Jesus? Hmm? Star? No, it wasn't the star. It was after they saw Jesus. It was only after they saw the Jesus in the, the straw that the Magi got a direct word from God. And, and listen up for that. We are quick to think that God spoke to them back in Babylon saying, you know, I'm going to show you my son Jesus. He'll be the Messiah. And I'm going to give you a star. It's going to lead you across the way like Haley's Comet. And you just follow that trail and boom, you'll find my boy. Well, that's not what happened. It's only when they get to Palestine. It's only when they talk to the people of Jerusalem. It's only after they spoke to the king and the religious officials and heard about the prophecy from the book of Micah, it's only when they found Jesus and worshipped him that God speaks. You hear that? The profundity of that? When they worship God, God responded. It's interesting to note that God spoke to the Magi after what? Worship. Paying him homage. Worship, my beloved, if you remember, is not for us. It is for God. It's a byproduct of our true worship of God that we get blessings in return. And that's what happened in our story today. That's what happened in our story today. The Magi come, they bowed down, they paid Jesus homage, they worship Jesus, offering what they had, their gifts to the child. They did not come to see this king And get something from the king. No, they went to the king to give the king something. They came to worship the king. They came to serve the king. And when they did that, as soon as the worship happened, God spoke to them. God appeared in a dream saying, don't go back to Herod's. Go a different way. God speaks to them after they worshiped. There's a direct correlation, brothers and sisters, between worshiping God first and then hearing or receiving blessing from what God wants. God is first. We worship God. Blessing and answers will be given, even if we don't ask for them. That's the power of this story. The story is loaded. This old, old story is loaded, my beloved. It's loaded with example of how things are not always as they appear. We see God use people that we would, in our parlance, call those pagans. God uses those people completely outside the orbit of orthodox faith, and he brings them to worship the king. 
God will take what is familiar with us, in this case for the Magi, the stars, what they knew, and will use that in a way to lead them to Jesus. Who would have thought? We see God is not where people expect to find him. He wasn't in the palace. He wasn't in the temple. He was lying on the straw at home. Who would have thought? We see how God wants to be worshipped, not as an option on a ballot or a referendum to be voted upon. God wants to be the sole recipient, the receiver of our worship. That is not a surprise. Beloved, Jesus is thought to be, as I mentioned, one and a half years old when the wise men get there. And already in Matthew, Matthew has set the entire gospel story in front of us. He's outlined already the entire story of what's going to be happening to Jesus and God's purpose in the Matthew's gospel. All these types of people would be in Matthew's gospel. And each and every one of us can relate to one of those types. You see, there are those who are eager to worship Jesus and to go out of their way to ensure the king is paid homage and worshiped and served. We see in our story also, and throughout the rest of Matthew, those who are national kinsfolk, those who are the good Jews of the day, who are related to Jesus by blood, but who wish to kill him for all that he stands for and all that he promises. We see throughout Matthew's gospel that there are those who are disturbed and distressed to hear the news of this new king And he demands their worship. My friends, over the next few quiet moments as we prepare for communion, I want us to reflect upon how you encounter the epiphany of God. Where this baby called Jesus is your king. When have you had an epiphany that this child in the straw was the cosmic Christ of the universe. Are you and I, are we willing to risk it all to worship and serve him as the Messiah of God, making Jesus the Polaris, the pole star of our faith that directs our life? Is that the epiphany? Is it the epiphany where you and me, like Herod, we wish Jesus would just... Go away. Because he is a threat to the way we live. Because his demands are too hard in our life today. They're too great. And friends, this is the path many in the nation, they're going that way. They don't need Jesus. They don't need church. I'm going to go forge on my own. Is the epiphany that you or I are like one of the religious officials who are so concerned this new king will cause us to individually or this church corporately will demand that we change our life and the way we approach God and others. 
Are we willing to accept the fact that Jesus may demand a life that may be too uncomfortable from the status quo way we live now? This seems to be the path many Christian churches are following in our nation. And death is in their wake. Friends, people seem wired to resist change. I don't know why. Even it's for the change for the best. It's because their dysfunctional status quo is so much easier to remain stuck in than actually doing what it takes emotionally, spiritually, and physically to break free from the dysfunctional state's gravitational pull. We'd rather feel miserable and comfortable than transformed and liberated. It's easier. Is that your epiphany? Beloved, what are the value of the gifts that we come and bring Jesus? Are they the best? Or are they mere trinkets and cheap souvenirs we picked up along the way? at a Stuckey's on the turnpike as we stop for coffee. How does your life, how does my life, how does this church's life demonstrate we are giving God homage? My friends, let's ponder these questions as we come to experience the revealed Christ and have an epiphany in the breaking of the bread. Pray with me. Almighty, merciful God, we come this morning and we give you thanks and praise. Lord, you come and you show yourself to us. Once we worship you, the scales fall from our eyes and we see. Oh, Lord, thank you. Lord, we come to this table this morning and we're reminded that it is in the breaking of the bread that your disciples saw Jesus. Oh Lord, in each in our own way, as a church, reveal yourself to us in the breaking of the bread as we worship you. Reveal to us the epiphany of a changed life that you want in each and every one of us. Lift us up into the spiritual presence of Christ at the heavenly banquet table, surrounded with the saints of God, as we worship you, as we give you homage. Oh, Lord, thank you for this meal. Amen.